social question is beyond their control. The standard explanation is money and the way it runs through American politics, adjusting incentives and distorting priorities wherever it flows. The country's leaders, this theory goes, are the products of a corrupt campaign finance system, their values whacked by the revolving door between Congress and K Street, between the Treasury Department and the banks. While parts of the oligarchy that rules this land and funds our politicians might not really object to something like gay marriage, when it comes to putting big banks into receivership, oh no. In the land of money, that kind of thing is verboten. Now, there's plenty of evidence for this theory, and I will present quite a bit of it. But the Democrats' problems go deeper than this. To diagnose their particular malady, we must understand that there are different hierarchies of power in America. And while oligarchy theory exposes one of them, the hierarchy of money, many of the Democrats' failings arise from another hierarchy. One of Welcome to the stream, everybody. This is Theory Underground. I am David McCarricker, and we are joined today by Elton L.K. of the Working Class Intelligentsia. How are you doing, Elton? Doing great. Good evening. Fantastic. Glad Good to be evening. Here. Yeah, it's nice to be in a relatively similar time zone to you. I think you're only an hour ahead of me right now. What's up, chat? Anybody there? Let us know if if this is working. It's always, for me, the big terror of doing anything live is talking and then finding out we have to re-say something because it wasn't working or something like that. So in the chat, if someone's watching this, do let us know. But uh, I'll start out by saying that what you heard uh, before we we began uh, was a snippet of, or we should say an audible preview of the audiobook Listen Liberal by Thomas Frank. And that is one of the works that we will actually be talking about in the course that is beginning next week. So the course that we are doing is... Uh, it is in two weeks. Is that did right? I get it? <laughs> did I get it wrong? Let's see. Yeah, you're right. Two weeks. Okay. Basically two weeks from today. Yeah, so two weeks from today, we're going to do a four-session conversation on the PMC that will include lectures for myself and from Elton. And we'll be talking about the concept of the PMC. I say four sessions that way because it's actually eight weeks because we want to give people time to do the reading and hopefully even reread the reading before the lectures. And so I wanted to take an opportunity here just to talk to for the two of us to talk about why we think this concept is important. Ah, Violet in the chat says that we're working. Thank you. Thank you. So what do we want to say about the PMC? First of all, it stands for Professional Managerial Class. That's the way that it's normally used. The Marxists in my life tend to have a sort of, uh, they stick on the, the whether it is or is not a class, right? If you simply define class by uh, a group that has common interests that are antagonistic to the interests of other social groups, then it is a class. But if you're thinking about class in terms of the relation one ha has to the means of production in society, then it might be a little bit more complicated. For us, or at least for me, and I'll let Elton speak for himself here in a second, I will just say to anybody joining who's been wondering about this term, how it's been used in the last several years, especially since 2020 though, there's generally two reactions to the term being used at all. And one is a sort of open condescension or disdain, a sort of disavowal that will kind of just shrug it off as unimportant. And on the other side, to uncritically adopt 
the term as a sort of caricature or even one could say a pejorative slur used against the people that one does not like. So the question then is, uh, between those two options, what is the proper approach? And so what we hope is to attract people who are interested in thinking about class, not just so that they can write other people off or downplay and dismiss other people on the basis of their social position. Uh, and on the other side, attract people who want to think about this stuff critically, whether or not, whether they actually are included in this term or not. Uh, for me, it's about ideology critique at the end of the day. It's about if you want to do philosophy, you have to challenge the fundamental presuppositional frameworks and assumptions of your society. And the uh, college educated in the United States today, besides a brief moment of reprieve through Bernie, are generally speaking not class conscious. And when they are, they don't think about their role in the reproduction of a class society. And so that's what I think we'll hopefully be able to get into because at the end of the day, PMC comes with a kind of ideology. And if you don't think that it's a form of ideology, then you are, then basically they're pulling a fast one on you and you might say stupid things, do stupid things like I've done, like I've said in the past because of various forms of ignorance. And so the, the name of this ideology, according to Thomas Frank, who we were just listening to from his book, Listen Liberal, he calls it a post-industrial ideology, par excellence, because at the end of the day, it's about expertise, meritocracy, and control. So that's, uh, that's how I'll open. And then as far as like how we both got interested in this term, that's our own personal journeys, and we'll start out with Elton. Elton, you want to do a little introdu introduction about your background and how you started thinking about this term? You bet. So um, my background, um, you know, I grew up in a household of, you know, somewhere between um, working class and um, small business owners. I think that both both terms, you know, kind of apply to both my mom and my dad um, for various reasons, but just that they kind of bounce between those two. And they always wanted me to go to college. So that was always a conversation. You know, of course, that concept of wanting um, more for me. And, um, you know, eventually I was able to go to college. In fact, um, I went to college a little bit late at, at like age 24, I went and ended up going to some private colleges to study. I wasn't sure if it was going to be film or philosophy. It ended up being philosophy. And, um, if you're into it, the stuff we're into, there's a lot of, there's a lot, I mean, yeah, it's almost uh, the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course we, you know, that's part of what we love about Zizek, for example, is that he's able to bring those two together. Um, so um, then, you know, of course, going to college, um, it ended up being something that, you know, completely transformed who I was and, and how I saw the world. Um, I, I remember even, honestly, like after the first 
you know, what was it like semester or something like that coming home and just feeling like I, I didn't belong anymore because I had changed so much through that process. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'd get to it eventually, but, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, kind of like class institutions, um, I'm of course fast forwarding here, but college is certainly an institution that reproduces uh, capitalism and and even more specifically it reproduces the PMC and I think that it really transformed me into um, someone who you know identified with the PMC and to took the values on of the PMC and so um, yeah long story short I graduated in lots of debt and you know had trouble kind of um, reconciling you know my professional career with um being somebody who was always struggling to pay pay the bills month to month and um i think you know that struggle led me in the direction you know leftist politics socialism even and um and that you know has that and a number of other things have caused me to really try to analyze kind of, you know, how did we get here? How did our economy get to this place? Obviously, there's lots of other things like, um, you know, the failures of the Democratic Party and Trump getting elected and a number of other things um, that have caused me to try to understand who I am and the, you know, this is the society we live in. Um, and I think that that doing that analysis has been, um, both, you know, bringing me to the point of reading Barbara Ehrenreich, but also like, I, I would say like, has been like kind of impossible to make sense of without the concept of the PMC. Um, to do what without yes. it? What? Uh, so to make sense of, of you know, kind of like, how did we even get here? So just to live in I a see. society where, um, you know, to have the kinds of political struggles that we're having, and I, you know, would need to start getting into the details, but, um, you know, essentially for me, um, going to college and um, essentially getting an elite education and absorbing PMC values um, was something that I didn't, you know, even recognize was happening, mm -hmm. um, and that it and that it was through you know, let's say I, there's, there's many things, but like, for example, um, Trump getting elected and kind of like recognizing um, some of how, you know, I, di I didn't have the term PMC, but just like some of how the values that I was aligning myself with had contributed to creating the kind of conflict that was happening, happening in society. Um, that was essentially like, of course, you know, Hillary Clinton referring to the deplorables, mm. that kind of stuff, um, recognizing that there was an, an elitist kind of 
um, discussed with the uneducated and feeling like, you know, really what Obama and the liberals had to offer the people that, you know, kind of like I had aligned with it, you know, through college um, had to offer was just kind of like, well, if you could just get an education, then, you know, all of your problems could be solved or mm -hmm. all of society's problems could be solved. <clears throat> and, um, and then starting to kind of understand, uh, a cons you know, essentially starting to view the world through class analysis um, and thinking about, you know, essentially like, how do we, how do we look at the world from a perspective that recognizes, um, of course, there's power dynamics, power relationships between, you know, those who have power, uh, sorry, money, and then of course, even prestige. Um, and from that, uh, recognizing that the people who have power are really just a minority of, you know, the population, um, and that they tend to dismiss those who, you know, don't have that power and prestige. And so wanting to come up with a way of thinking about politics and the world that is, is not, you know, essentially fundamentally elitist, but instead is like giving people dignity. All of that being said, um, you know, I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that um, there was something there that, you know, I had identified with. And, you know, essentially, like, um, I think I, you know, understood it pretty well before discovering, you know, the concept of the PMC, uh, et cetera. But reading Aaron Reich, the Aaron Reichs and, um, you know, and other stuff, I think really helped me um, feel like, okay, I can make sense out of the history of, you know, um, the political development that I had gone through, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in addition to trying to make sense out of, you know, the United States over the last uh, 40 years, neoliberalism, and then even bigger picture of how capitalism had evolved in the United States. Of course, those are kind of things that we can get to later. But so, so then for you, the reading specifically, it's been Barbara Ehrenreich has been probably the biggest key to unlocking this, this, I almost want to say side of yourself, right? Because that's what it is to discover that you've been operating ideologically when you did not realize that you're operating ideologically, you know, because like you might subscribe yeah. consciously to this belief or that belief. And you're like, yeah, ideologically, I, I, I align with this belief and that belief. But obviously, when we use ideology in the critical theoretical sense, we're not we've rarely, rarely are we talking about the level of, oh, yes, I've consciously chosen to believe this thing. And we're a lot more interested in those things that we go along believing without, or I, I should say, it's not that we believe it, it's that we, it, we operate as though we know it, right? We, we operate as though we know a certain set of things. It's not a matter of belief or faith because it's just like, oh, yeah, this is just the way things are. 
right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, with reading, so you know, and obviously we'll um, discuss this, or you know, maybe important background information is, is that when we talk about Barbara, Barbara Ehrenreich, you know, really um, most of the time we're talking about Barbara Ehrenreich, but also she wrote. Uh, three critical essays, uh, two in particular, with her ex-husband. Um, they were they were married at the time, uh, John Aaron Reich, and I believe he's still alive. Um, so yeah, uh, when I read the Aaron Reich's essays about the PMC, and then even you know her later work, Fear of Falling, about quote the middle class, which you know, still is fundamentally about the PMC, even though she doesn't use that term throughout the book. Um, the book came out in 89, whereas the original essays came out in 77. Um, you know, and I only recently discovered them in the last um, uh, year or more um, as it's been a live conversation on the left. And it's one of those things where once I read their articulation of the concept of the PMC and how the professional managerial class came into existence and the role that they've played in American society and politics over the last, uh, you know, 130 years. I realized how, um, you know, essentially, you know, a, a piece of who I am and what um you know essentially what my interests are even uh as a member of that class if you will um which you know on the on the subject of is the pmc a class um obviously we'll have more time to talk about it but the the main thing i want to say is like yeah i may kind of default to saying it's not a class um, but I'm going to continue to use the term PMC as if it's a class because I think, you know, essentially um, it's an extremely valuable concept and uh, really um, it's something that um, the concept of class needs to be able to um, incorporate in some form or another, which will take, I think, you know, teasing out in more detail later. What do you see as the danger of thinking class but failing to think about the role of PMC in the context of your thinking class or thinking or doing a class analysis but failing to add that in? What, what, what's yeah. the danger? So, yeah, what is the danger of essentially, you know, class analysis that doesn't incorporate the concept of the PMC. So, you know, I'll start with saying, you know, we we talk about class, especially as socialist as a socialist, which um, identify as a socialist, and you know, lean heavily upon Marx for that. You know, the the concept of class is saying that there are these relationships between groups of people over history that evolve, that are tied specifically to whatever the economic um, uh, structure is of that society. And 
you know, Marx is concerned about, you know, um, making sure people are getting fed and um, paying the bills and however they need to go about that and kind of like what level of freedom they have um, in being able to do that and live their lives really defines what the class structure is of a society. And so we just talked about, you know, under capitalism, that's fundamentally, we've got the capitalists or the bourgeoisie, which is to say that, you know, the business owners and the workers. So in Marxist circles, that's the tendency is to stick with those two classes and neglect to really go beyond that. You may have, you know, small business owners versus big capitalists, the people with lots of money, lots of power, et cetera, but fundamentally neglecting to um, account for other pieces of society, other um, elements of society. And then I'll add, not that we need to worry about it in very much detail, but you know, there are other sociologists that have all other kinds of ways of um, breaking apart society. And honestly, I don't find much value in those most of the time. They may have some insights here and there, but they end up feeling far more arbitrary. Like they just kind of, you know, pick some characteristics that they want to focus on and then, you know, from there are able to collect, you know, or identify a bunch of different groups of people. Mm. So, um, like, like by age, uh, you know, by... obviously identity in and culture, culture is like, you know, a word that you can end up, um, thinking about lots of different groups of people, but then that ends up just breaking down into smaller and smaller groups of people. So like when we talk about culture, you know, a common example uh, is like the, you know, essentially white male working class. You know, I, I throw the word male in there just because you say white working class and rarely do you think of a female, you think of a male when we're talking about white working class. Um, and it's, you know, almost a stereotype that we get from Hollywood more than anything, uh, which is, you know, the the factory worker that, you know, is probably racist, uh, you know, or, or at least is making racist jokes, even if they've got black friends and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then you've got the, you know, the intellectuals and you may have, um, you know, like I was a part of the punk rock uh, counterculture scene or something like that. And, you know, all of those can end up being like um, different classes of people. Punk rock, of course, divided into the like, you know, the more kind of like intellectual emo versus the, you know, more gutter punk, et cetera. Um, Right. And, you know, I think those things, of course, can be really interesting to talk about, um, but they don't necessarily have the, 
and I and I don't know if I have the words for it yet, but just kind of like the rigor. It feels like um, it's very slippery slope. You can keep breaking things down into smaller, smaller pieces. Right, to the point where you have people saying that, you know, oh, there's a special little grouping between uh, Gen X and Millennial, right? Yeah, exactly. Or I'm a Zennial or, you know, you've got all these. And there's an industry of people out there discovering new little subsections and this and that. And so the, the big move then is to go back to, okay, all right. There's a lot of ways that people can express themselves or make sense of their experiences and try to group up with other people. But what about the reproduction of a class society at its most fundamental level? Right. And so one of the things I look forward to doing a lot more in the future uh, with Theory Underground, once this PMC primer has been established, once we've done it, um, and once the idea of the university primer has been established, um, then we'll be ready for other conversations in the future, more on the, the role of education. Uh, but because this is just a primer, I think I'll actually say something about it, though. And that is that the professionalization of the, these uh, various uh, professions... God, I hate to say that. The professionalization of these different professions, though, was something that was done at a specific time in history as a response to specific developments, specifically within capitalism, having its crises uh, that led to worker revolution. And so the especially progress progressivism in the United States, uh, starting with Woodrow Wilson primarily, um, develops as a reaction to working class antagonism and organization. And in a lot of cases, granting rights and certain social safety nets to workers was a way of eradicating the uh, organizational, the organizing power that they had going for them. And so this is one of the things people end up saying, oh, you know, I actually heard you say it once uh, at a meeting, you know, the difficulty of my position is to tell workers they need to organize to build up the class, you know, to, so that it can become this, this thing, right? So, you know, so it's not just to awaken a consciousness and then the, you know, the change will occur, but it's also we need to construct the class in this sort of sense. And D- Daniel Tut from Zero Books said that in his little response to our, uh, we played it in the in the stream that happened a couple of days ago on this channel the one that was in defense of Zizek. And he had said like, you know, so you guys, he said, you guys call yourself working class intellectuals. What's the point of that? What are you doing to construct the class? And um, for me, it's a fundamental uh, uh, impasse, problem, contradiction, uh, a sort of situation that I'm in and that I've been in as someone who is profoundly influenced by Marx who then got involved with Bernie for pragmatic reasons because I, I, I saw, okay, this is, you know, this is going to build up class consciousness for people. That's good. Um, I had never thought about the fact that when he was writing, no one was talking about how it needed to be constructed. No one was saying it needed to be constructed because it already existed. There were already working class libraries. There were already working class schools. There were already working class kitchens. 
So there were institutions by and for working class people because working class people had been shut out of the larger society. They did not have the rights um, that, that had been won through the bourgeois revolutions, right? The bourgeois revolutions uh, were a way of all productive people, workers and capitalists alike, saying, hey, we make society go around. We deserve rights. And then on the other side of those revolutions, capitalists were like, cool, we secured our rights. And workers were like, oh, shit, we didn't get any. You know, and in some cases, maybe you got some advantages. And especially as uh, slavery and racism was codified into law as another way of uh, trying to get ahead of workers organizing together, um, certain workers, this is where you can start talking about the, the white working class, did begin to think that they actually had some special privileges or affinity on, on uh, you know, because of their skin color or because they worked for some capitalist or whatever. And so, um, the, for me, the, the, P, the, the reality of the PMC and, uh, uh, and of its lack of self-consciousness about the role it plays, the, its function in the reproduction of a class society, combined with the realization that what Marx could presuppose is not something that we can presuppose, leaves me at a complete impasse, especially after seeing in 2020 when Bernie's uh, Our Revolution right was liquidated into BLM and wear masks, you filthy peasants, which is like, let's just assume that those are all good all the way down. Nothing, n nothing, nothing, nothing going on there in terms of uh, certain uh, advantages or, or reasons why it's beneficial for uh, some of the biggest capitalists in the world or, or what. No, no, let's just assume that those were all good things. Ne ne nevertheless, uh, what had been a six-year working class consciousness-raising movement um, dissipated and fragmented into some just good old-fashioned uh, Democrats versus Republicans as it usually goes, right? And so you have a lot of leftists who say, well, I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a liberal. And what they mean by that, if you really, really, really simplify it, and sometimes you have to make something into a cartoon just to really drive the point home, is that Obama would have been perfect if he had been meaner to white people, right? That's the, uh, that's the position of uh, Kimber Max Kendi. That is the position of Robin D'Angelo. That is the position of, I'm off the top of my head, I'm forgetting the name of the author of Between the World and Me, but... Um, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, right? This is the position of a lot of, I keep listing people who are focused on race for a reason though, because it's really easy for people to begin thinking about class, but they begin thinking about it through the lens or the framework that they've already kind of inculcated in grade school of identity politics. So really what they do is they add class onto one of the identities. It's a vector of oppression and then when workers prove to be deplorable just as often as not, you just go, well, fuck them, right? It's a lot easier to talk about race when you've gone to college and you've sat through a variety of classes and now you consider yourself one of those 
privileged people whose role it is to own your privilege in a way that shows other people how to do it as well. And then this becomes the, the mode of activism just becomes telling workers they actually have a lot of privilege if they're white, right? And so obviously there is a degree of – a degree to which that is true, but nothing's worse than when someone who is a salary employee who's who doesn't really break their back doing essential labor and yeah has to worry about money but in a completely different way tells you oh we're in the same boat it's the same situation and we've had it we've had it really good you just didn't do as well as I did in school that's why you have a shitty job and that's one of the key tenets of the post-industrial ideology of the PMC that Thomas Frank is talking about. It's not just meritocracy. because That's become a buzzword as well, even in critical race theory, where I think this PMC critique is needed the most, which is to say at Harvard, right? People like uh, Kimberly Crenshaw desperately need to take this seriously, but they probably won't because it's very beneficial for them to keep going as they're going. Um, but the point is... The underlying subtext of the meritocratic discourse coming from the side of Democrats is that inequality is your fault because you didn't apply yourself harder in school. Inequality is your fault. The, the idea that the lowest, the lowest necessary jobs, the lowest essential jobs – the lowest skilled jobs, and I know people say that's pure ideology, but also there's a sense in which you know th that can be true. The job I did at Amazon was a low-skilled job. There's no doubt about it. The only skill was doing it for 12 hours. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to do it for 12 hours. That's a skill. It's not a good skill because it means that you're breaking your back and getting your joints are getting ruined. Like that, The skill is being able to sacrifice yourself on the wheel of capital right? You know, to, to survive. And so for me... Yeah, it was just a, a real uh, epiphany to realize that you can keep saying you're against meritocracy, but if you keep pushing this idea that there are those who should lead and there are those who should follow, there are those who know and there are those who don't know, and the, the role of the people who know is to tell the people who don't know how it's going to be. And then if they're the good ones, then they're going to do X, Y, and Z things. And if they're the bad ones, well, pff, we don't really care about them anyway. That mode is the PMC mode. And you don't have to be PMC. You can just be a working class person doing a YouTube and still reproduce that mode. And it is the most revolting thing to the sensibilities of a person who is breaking their back every day to make the world go round. And so someone in the chat earlier said that uh, – oh, sorry. I got distracted there by the chat for a second. I think, the I think everything's good. In the chat, tell us if everything's good. I think it's all good. But someone had said something about uh, – I don't think it's fair to say deplorables comes from class disdain. Deplorables come. So in a sort of sense, are we – I read that as saying – that the that the people Hillary was talking about when she said deplorables, they are not merely a product of class disdain. There and and then I would add to it. I, I'm assuming that the person who said that would also say they're also racist. They genuinely want to maintain their white supremacy, or they want to hold on to whatever fleeting privileges that has secured for them. They might be 
like a specific kind of evangelical fundamentalist religious types that think that we need to be going towards a theocracy and the proper place of a woman is in the kitchen. And so, no, they're not just deplorable because of class sustain. They're also deplorable because they have uh, deplorable beliefs. And I think that's something worth taking seriously because the other side, the people who use PMC as a way of dismissing the college educated, uh, they, they, they would probably say, oh yeah, no, they're not deplorables. Okay, well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. I'm. I'm gonna say, Hillary's a deplorable. First of all, Hillary's a deplorable. Uh, Bill Clinton was a deplorable. They're deplorable in the sense that they also have deplorable beliefs that are also racist. But the thing is, they have fewer excuses because they have so much more privilege and so much more responsibility. So I don't even think that there's any comparison between these deplorables and the ones who get loud at a Trump rally, which is obviously the sort of image media has successfully burned into people's heads when we think of the not good ones, right? I was going to say something else about this deplorable line, but uh, first I just want to see if you have anything you want to add to any of that, specifically on this deplorable line or anything else that I'd said. Um. I mean, well, specifically, you had asked, you know, what the, like, essentially, what's, what can go, no, what's wrong with not um, recognizing the PMC as, you know, as a class or the, its existence. I think that's the important part. Um, and I think that, you know, it ties into everything you've been saying but it's fundamentally about if we want to have a successful political movement, we need, you know, the vast majority of people, you know, people power on our side coming together as the people. And um, if we continue to operate kind of like supporting the democratic party's pmc values it's necessarily going to be a, a minority movement so what i mean by that is you know the pmc maybe it's getting to be pretty big like you know 37 percent of society i don't i think that there's quite a bit that can be said about how meaningful that number is but if if 37% of the population are in you know what get considered pmc um job roles uh you know then you still essentially have a minority of society and um the democratic party you know recognizes that those people while they're not all going to vote for the Democratic Party, that they can get a good chunk of them. And those are the people who essentially are in positions of power, you know, and when I say positions of power is meaning like, you know, leading corporations or, um, you know, leading all kinds of organizations, whether it's, you know, nonprofits or um, college institutions, etc. But it's because it's not a majority movement, it's always going to be, you know, a somewhat moralistic critique of the rest of people who aren't 
in agreement with them and they may even get you know 51 or 60 percent of the vote but but it's of course going to be about the the part of you know the agenda that is of course leaving them in you know leaving the structure of society fundamentally in place mm. and just addressing you know smaller pieces but if we want to like fundamentally transform society and deal with the like um you know the issues that like thomas frank is talking about like you know in the even in the, the very short clip that you played at the beginning where he's saying you know mostly we just blame it on like the you know system being corrupt because of who has money and how politics functions if we want to deal with the issues that we're even just addressing in that critique it i think is going to take um recognizing who the pmc is and um starting to have a a political strategy that is essentially trying to you know fundamentally put the working class the majority of society at the center of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then essentially taking who we can from the pmc and you know essentially bringing about actual democracy through that process i hope all you know everything that i've just talked about there i hope that you know i can i can try to be more specific as far as tying it to what you were talking about but i think fundamentally um it's all the same conversation that it's about like creating a political discourse that recognizes um that we need to be thinking about you know essentially a mass politics like how do we all come together on the things that um bring dig dignity to the majority of you know americans and of course thinking internationally and it seems to Hopefully me Hopefully I like, haven't derailed too much there. So No, no. It seems like the this interest in a mass scale movement or mass change is the not only one of the leading reasons that a lot of people get involved with something like the DSA, it, as you have. Um but also or as I did, but but also uh we get tired of minoritarian Things And there's a time when you realize that just because you and your clique of friends have like these hyper-refined minoritarian takes uh, that may or may not actually serve the interests of the identities that they're meant to serve, um, then you, you, you have to eventually get back to thinking, okay, but wait, I don't want to just make change in my living room or at the, at the spoken word poetry reading group. Like I want to see real change that makes it so that it's not just individual acts of charity that are to write things, but we actually want to see the general level get raised for people. And so I think one of the things that this idea has, has kind of led me to is that if you've grown up a liberal – or if you grew up a conservative or an independent who had an image of what it means to be liberal, 
and then eventually you liked it for some reason. There were things about it that you liked and so you you adopted it or you had already inculcated it. But then you decided, oh, it's not going far enough. It's not going to do the trick. We need something more. And then you started calling yourself a leftist. It doesn't mean that this the the mode that you have inculcated and the sort of scripts that you run uh, are capable of addressing the 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 way that. Uh, liberal politics uh, in the last uh, 70 years has been um, almost made to be divisive and repugnant to majoritarian movements, period. And so if you add on working class to the list of other identities that you fight for, but you keep fighting for all of these in the same basic way that comes out of these nonprofits and think tanks that have specific class interests and you're doing that uncritically and it feels natural. It feels like you're putting your own flourish on a dance that you learned in your tribe. But the fact is, is it's, it's not your own dance, right? These scripts are scripts and we run these scripts and they have predictable, repeatable uh, results. And so the point is, is to figure out uh, what are the kernels of truth on the other side of the, the signifiers in these scripts and also what are the critiques of these scripts and what can we do with all of that to hopefully come up with something new so that next time there's actual energy to do something with, it doesn't just rinse and repeat like it did in Occupy, like it did with Bernie, right? And I'm just going with my own lifespan here. I mean, not lifespan, but consciousness span. It's been really between Occupy and now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I, and along those lines, I'll comment that, you know, with um, the Aaron Reich's pieces, it's interesting. So, you know, Barbara Aaron Reich herself grew up the child of a coal miner who had, you know, her dad got a PhD. I can't remember what it was, but essentially the point is, is that he was like, you know, coal miner, union member, working class had, you know, a lot of skepticism towards the PMC, um, then, um, you know, became a member of the PMC and even, you know, began to, like, have some self-awareness about just essentially what that meant and what the process looked like. Barbara Ehrenreich then, um, I think, became a chemist, if I remember correctly. The point is that she became a scientist uh, pretty early on, but it was during the 70s when um, the 60s and 70s when she was when they uh, the period that they're writing about. So they they published in 77 this article on the PMC, um, but part one of the essay is going back to a moment, you know. I, they say um, 1890, so before turn of the century, to uh, 1920, um, capitalism was having six, success at a level that it had never had before. And with that extra money, um, capitalists could afford essentially to 
fund a professional managerial class in order to essentially solve all of the problems that were coming about from so much change happening by capitalism transforming society so rapidly. And so it creates this PMC, which, um, you know, essentially like um, calms a lot of the um, agitation from the working class. And, and this is referencing something you were talking about probably a half hour ago, but um, that uh, that class, working class conscious revolutionary spirit um, essentially um, dissipated as the professionals were engineering society in such a way that um, addressed a lot of their needs. There was also some, you know, class warfare, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it at a later point. My point being is that um, then Barbara and her husband at the time talk about how um, in the 60s, the new left, which was essentially PMC children going to school, supporting civil rights movement and black power movement, start to have some critical distance, recognizing, you know, essentially what it means to be in P B PMC and that um, the the oppression essentially that that class had caused the working class and how that started to trigger some um, essentially anti-PMC um, pro-working class sentiments. And then I'm bringing this back to what you were saying about kind of like, what does it mean today? They wrote a follow-up in 2013 where the, um, you know, Occupy Wall Street had just happened. And I think it's interesting they start to predict essentially the, you know, explosion of a socialist movement that is fundamentally a PMC <laughs> movement, mm -hmm. um, which is to say, you know, educated kids like myself with a lot of student debt, <laughs> you know, turning towards essentially the working class as their salvation <laughs> and saying like, look, you know, uh, the PMC is starting to, the kids of the PMC rather are starting to um, experience a lot of the same trouble that the working class has been experiencing, you know, all along. Um, so yeah, it's 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 hoping then that maybe we might have, you know, some common cause, and that, you know, that maybe there can be, um, you know, some element of the PMC even. Uh, collaborating with the labor movement, which is to say the working class in some kind of political struggle that's, um, that is pro-working class, you know, kind of like respecting their dignity as opposed to dismissing them, etc. No, basically what they need is like a, a Robin D'Angelo of the PMC instead of about race to go and give consciousness raising workshops to <laughs> to office office spaces all across the country. <laughs> I mean, in a sort of sense, I actually unironically think that that's needed. I, the the 
my issue with consciousness raising workshops and therapism more broadly is that it's kind of espoused as the solution to working class problems. Uh, I'm not saying that consciousness raising is unimportant, right? The, the, the problem is, is that when the PMC thinks that these workshops that they, they go through that brought some epiphany or insight into their life, oh, now they have some more critical distance and some more uh, uh, fine-tuned consumer habits or, you know... Uh, As if epiphanies is the point, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and also there's nothing wrong with epiphanies, but th- seeing that, seeing, seeing those as the solution to a working class person who's struggling. Oh, you need therapy. Okay. Look, that probably wouldn't hurt, but also we're talking about a working person who's got no time and energy for relationships or family or their de- de- development or expression of their own potential. Um, and, and you, you are just an angsty person who has relative time and energy and you just don't know what to do with it. You know, like there's a fundamental divide here and, uh, yeah, that's I, – I, I don't know. This idea of, of a broad coalition and of that kind of collaboration is one that I am going to just kind of keep questioning. I don't think it's going to be so easy and I don't think we're and, – and, and every time Democrat slash liberal solutions fail and produce a Trump or produce a COVID crisis – or produce whatever. Every time these solutions fail, um, they take that as confirmation that they're doing all of the right things and they just need to do it a little bit harder, <laughs> right? Because it always comes back to this basic uh, PMC talking point. It's because not enough people believe us. It's not. It's because not enough people – it's because people get to hear about conspiracy theories instead of tuning into us talking. That's, that's the real issue. No, it's, it couldn't be that – the very language you've adopted and and the entire mode you 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 comport yourself through the world in is inherently divisive and repulsive to most people. Now it couldn't couldn't possibly be that, right? And so, what I'm hoping t- that will come out of this class is um, thinking a, a more rigorous thinking that doesn't just kind of wave its hands and say, oh, we don't need this term. We don't need this. We don't need to add this into the class analysis. Um, and oh, versus the, oh, using it to explain away everything and using it to write off people, but instead a rigorous thinking about what, what, what does it mean to collaborate with people who are regular workers or who bear the brunt of, uh, the reproduction of society itself at that material level. And then bringing it back to this idea that the PMC, is and this is where you had just been talking about with their third essay and how neoliberalization is giving good cause for a sort of common um, uh, stake uh, or shared interest between the PMC and the regular working class. My concern is that this talking point about neoliberalism has successfully made it it sets the frame so that people see the solution as social democracy or authoritarianism. It's one or the, one or the other. On the on the on the Marxist-Leninist slash Trotskyist side, you obviously have 
the solution to neoliberalism would be the centralization of the economy under a commanding elite or you know you could you could say a, a body of representatives that hopefully work with the uh, smaller councils at every other level of society uh, but the general tendency is to say oh well, what we need is just more social democracy and I would say that if we just do a, a very uh, vulgar armchair materialist analysis of why neoliberalism has become such a talking point, it seems to me as a very convenient way of uh, scapegoating or, or no, no, uh, yeah, maybe scapegoating, sort of uh, uh, setting off the whole discussion of what's wrong on the wrong foot. Oh, it's just because we don't put our money towards social nets. It's just because, um, you know, the Supreme Court and uh, your typical Democrat uh, in Congress, you know, goes to these fancy dinners being put on by the Koch brothers. And then they learn some, you know, of this Austrian economics or some something that's sort of downstream from Milton Friedman or whatever. And and now because they have that, they, they still have their progressive values, but they have like this sort of like, oh, but economics is economics and that's the reality of the situation. And we've just got to bite the bullet. And I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. This is just reality, right? The if if neoliberalism is the number one enemy and neoliberalism is making it so that an increasing numbers of the PMC, uh, with whether it's at their nonprofit or it's at their cushy job where they didn't really have to worry about their salary going away and all of a sudden they're kind of starting to get worried. Um, my concern is that their vested interest in overcoming neoliberalism will just be social democracy, like a new deal kind of thing. Absolutely. Or, or scarier to me still, these exact same people being like, yeah, centralizing us all authority over society and we will be anti-capitalists and solve the problems. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be our friends who study Lenin, who are the ones in the seat of power if, the, if that kind of centralization occurs. And so that's one of the things that I think Aaron Reich doesn't ever consider strongly enough is the role of the managerial revolution itself. And that's where Burnham comes in. And this is actually where Doug Lane from Sublation Media has his biggest qualm with the idea of the PMC. He says that it is an inherently right-wing idea. He Because th- he hasn't read Aaron Reich. I mean, it's very obvious he's never read hmm. Aaron Reich. Uh, and if he has, I'm sorry, Doug, you know, but uh, <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't seem like he does because he says it's just James Burnham's idea. And it's obviously not just James Burnham's, Burnham's idea. When Burnham wrote The Managerial Revolution, he was writing after it had already kind of become a talking point. People were already thinking there's something else going on here between fascism, communism, and liberalism, which were the main three competing grand narratives and ideologies of the 20th century. And so the the idea is that what we have now what he's seeing as a Trotskyist who's becoming a non-Trotskyist, he's starting to go, okay, no, this, this capitalism has crises built into it. It just so happens that one of the best ways to kind of solve for those crises is through a managerial elite calling the shots. And if, it, if that means Roosevelt doing some kind of a new deal thing, or if that means Lenin saying, look, this ain't working, we're going to fucking 
change everything right now in drastic, big, bold moves. Or, you know, Hitler doing something kind of similar, which is a mixed economy, top-down control, saying, don't worry, we're going to get it. And we might have to break some eggs along the way, but we're going to... The point is, is to get this thing that we usually call capitalism to keep working. And Burnham's main point is, yeah, some of the things that are required to keep capitalism working are not capitalist on their face. They don't even seem capitalist. Not free market, yeah. Yeah, they're just not free market, but obviously capitalism's still going. You know, you st- people are still, and this is why Moishput Stone is so important to me, not for his solutions, which is where Catron's critique usually focuses, but instead for his uh, emphasis on the, 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 the critique of political economy through Marx is supposed to be a critique of the form of labor that is developed in the post in, in the industrialist and post-industrialist phase of capitalism. And so if the solutions being offered do not remedy the form itself, then we're, we're screwed. And to bring it back to that point on deplorables, to wrap this all up, because I didn't say it earlier, is that for me, yeah, I can hate someone to their, you know, I can hate their guts if I'm in, in their presence and they're saying deplorable things. But as soon as we start thinking about uh, petty bourgeois and working class people who struggle every day in these sort of, in, in a sort of mass way that is super uncharitable, we're already we're already setting ourselves up for failure because look it's not to dignify their beliefs it's not to dignify their actions but it is to understand that what we're talking about is broken people people who have been broken by a life world where they don't have time or energy where they don't and 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 when i say time energy and i just you know i guess it actually should be clarified i'm not just, i'm not just mashing the two words together we mean energy infused repeatable blocks of time multiple times in a week that you can freely use or dispose of in your in the ways that you see fit okay if you have energy infused big chunks of time that you can dispose of as you see fit you can build relationships you can learn the violin you can speak five languages you can study philosophy you can do you know film criticism and <clears throat> you can have relationships with your family and that you don't have to make decisions there you get to have all of those things but if you don't get to have those things, you're a broken shell of what was supposed to be a human being. I am, you are, we're all broken shells of what we're supposed to be human beings because human beings have creative potential and the desire to do things with other people in meaningful ways that are not always being bent towards the personal profit of some group of individuals that are usually removed from the situation. And so when, when, whenever people talk about the deplorables or whenever that sort of talking point comes back up for me it's always just like yeah you're you're victim blaming in a sort of yeah i I, i'm at the systemic level you're victim blaming at the interpersonal level sure someone's probably an actual piece of shit fuck them i'm not talking about defending the character of an actual deplorable person but my point is is that um my surprise my, my tendency is when it comes to incels and school shooters and Trump supporters and anybody else who's not able to function in this society or who takes a, a non-optimal approach to dealing with things, my, my tendency is to say, I'm surprised there's not a lot more. I'm surprised. There, people are like, wow, there's so many more shootings now. Yeah, I'm surprised there's not more. 
people are like, oh my God, that guy went in with a knife and like, or a hammer and attacked Pelosi's husband. And I'm like, I'm surprised that doesn't happen every fucking day. They're worth a hundred million dollars. You know, they're worth a hundred million dollars. The two of them. In what, in what world should a politician be worth a hundred million dollars? Much less get richer in the midst of catastrophes, which is what they've done their entire lives. I'm surprised it doesn't happen way more often. Sure, the guy was mentally ill. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's all these questions about, you know, he probably wasn't even very clear on what he was doing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're in that position. Society sucks. If you're in that position and society sucks, I'm surprised people aren't axing you every day. That's all. That's what it comes down to. And so as far as like the deplorables goes, I mean, there but for the grace of God go I, right? Like that's, that's just my general thing that I think. And the fact that that's not being thought of by your average PMC Democrat, that to me is a bigger issue. The fact is, is that's where your head should go is like, well, of course, this is a problem. Of course, this kind of stuff is happening. We have been terrible custodians of this society, right? And uh, that's the last part is just that it's something Thomas Frank always comes back to is he talks about how the PMC does not see itself as social trustees. It sees itself as rightful thought leaders, as experts, and everybody who's an expert stays in their lane, respects, there's a, this sort of peer respect across the fields that come out of college. We all know how to respect one another. That's, that's what the fraternity is about. That's what the sorority is about. They're learning how to, oh, you're, you're a doctor and I'm an engineer and you're a teacher and we all stay in our lanes and know how to defer to one another. And it's like, that's, that's, the, that's that that's that sort of uh, unknown known, to use Zizek's terms, right? That, 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 that's one of the main functions of this kind of socialization that, as you point out, more and more people are getting to, to go through it. But yeah, if, neoliz if neoliberalization is going to make it so that uh, capitalism has a harder time functioning, then neoliberalization is going to go bye-bye, and what you'll have replacing it is either democratic socialism and it might be a, a nationalist version of that, which can be terrifying. Or on the other side, it'll just be like centralized, top-down command. But neither – hey, things could be better. Things could be worse if everyone went in either of those two directions. Our point, I think, as educators is just to say whoever's involved with that, I hope they have some consciousness of their function and role. And I hope that they also have a strong sense of how much – distaste and hatred has been inculcated in the regular working person who isn't left or right because the overwhelming majority of working class people are not left or right. The overwhelming majority don't even vote. Okay. So they're yeah. not responsible for this. It's not their fault. And to be like, well, you're responsible for your poverty and you should just listen to us. No, that was this, that, that was one of the ways that, uh, Bernie got liquidated into PMC politics was COVID. The, the entire talking point with COVID became trust the experts, listen to what we say, and uh, the good ones know. The good ones know to listen to us, and all the rest are just conspiracy theorists. Even if that's true, that's a terrible approach. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, even all the more reason to, to read what yeah these um, essays are – are about i i won't i won't start anything new but i'll i'll say that i'm i'm with you like 
as far as uh, well, even even the Ehrenreichs do say they don't go into any level of detail about it, but they they do just give like a sentence or two that is saying like, you know, really we're they say essentially we're writing this to warn like if if we're not careful, essentially we're going to get a dictatorship of the PMC. Yeah, and exactly. Essentially, that's what we need to be you know be aware of. You know, yeah, and it's not going to be. It's not going to be the guy who got to know everybody as mayor and went around talking to everybody and then rides in economy and refuses to live in mansions, right? It's not going to be someone like Bernie. It's going to be these people who are in these fraternities and sororities that you see today. That's who it'll be, but they'll have all the rationalization of economics and hard facts and the the ideal the post industrial ideology of expertise and meritocracy and you get what you get and shut up you shouldn't even be asking for more and so it's like when I see tankies today and it, like I understand you can be you can be a Leninist and not be a tanky all right I, I'll say that but I would say most I just a broad you know if you spend most of your time trying to convince people that they need to read uh, you know these these failed revolutionaries. Um, you're most of what you're doing if you just spend this time arguing against democracy and for authority you know most of what you're doing is you are developing the ideological rationalization tools that th that these other people who aren't you are going to need when they actually do seize the means and then call command over the economy and 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 they're not real socialists they're never going to be right that's the that's the issue um just just think about the people that are in sororities and fraternities that's who you were talking about the the, the to 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 centralize everything the, the last point i would i would I'd bring up here and i i know i want to close out but but just really when i think if for just to help other people who might be having a difficult time understanding what has me so worked up capitalism sucks but it's better than feudalism in a lot of ways except that serfs probably had more time okay but outside of that it's better okay uh what's worse is outright forms of domination where a handful of people have literal control over not just the bare necessities serfs at least had access to some bare necessities we don't have access to bare necessities that comes from the grocery store Okay, so the it's not just having control over the bare necessities when we talk about the economy. It's having control over which privileges are allocated to who. And so this idea that the PMC, the good ones, advocate for the right people to have more privileges and the wrong people to have fewer privileges, it's just paving the way for these people who are going to say, no, 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 shut the fuck up, get back to work. And we're going to tell you where to work. And if you run away from work, then you've abandoned your post and we're going to kill you. Like, so we're preparing ourselves for a post-apocalyptic world now. And the goal is to make it so that certain scripts don't function anymore. Right? Well, yeah, well put. All right. You probably have to run here in a second. And the chat's been lively. And I appreciate everybody's contributions. And I hope to read some of that aloud. But we do want to cut this short. So uh, do you have any closing statements you want to say here, Elton? Uh, just that um, I think 
you know, it's important for us to, you know, I guess just after the 20th century where class analysis almost was eradicated from from the discourse. And, you know, honestly, like um, even among socialists, like it just wasn't very, you know, rigorous and honest uh, a lot of the time. Um, this, I think, is is important, you know, essentially that, you know, essentially it's about the truth. And I think if, you know, where we have any hope for the future, it's in being in honest about kind of where we are and how we got there. So coming, coming to terms with uh, what, you know, PMC, et, et cetera, is, is pretty important. Thank you. All right. And thanks. Yeah. Thanks for setting this up. This is great. Cool. I'm really looking forward to doing this with you. And uh, I will uh, talk to you soon. All right. Have a good all one. Right. Yep. Take See care. See y'all later. Bye. And then, bye. okay. Bye bye. All right. And then, chat, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. It'll just be a second until you can see me again. Okay. I'll be uh, another minute or two. I want to quickly take you all through uh, the course and just show you where you can sign up. So, on the screen here, I think you should be able to see. Yeah, there we go. You should be able to see it. So this is a website. It's a mess right now, as you can see. Uh, it's kind of a clusterfuck of titles and uh, dates and books. It, sh it should be what you are able to see on the screen. If anybody's listening to this from the podcast side, uh, just bear with us for a second here. Um, I'm going to just – I will make this accessible for the visually impaired though or for anybody who's driving for their job while we're doing this. You go to theory-underground.com. First of all, that's important because that's the website. Uh, it's not just a course catalog in the future where that will have a lot of very important uh, information, topics, conversations, etc. It's also a sort of social media site. All right, um, there are, there's a forum component. So uh, there's the general forum, the one that is just open to the public. You can come in there and ask questions. Like if you're watching this video and you have thoughts you want to share, but you don't like sharing uh, thoughts in a comment section on a YouTube video because that kind of cheapens the 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 quality of, of the the response or the way that people see it, then go to theory-underground.com forward slash forums, and then right here you can click on it, and then that's just forward slash main and forums slash forum slash main. And uh, that's where you'll be able to ask questions, introduce yourself, get do technical support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the, the thing is, is, okay, but what about all those other courses? Look, you've got one that's about philosophy of love and friendship in the 21st century, and you've got one about the professional managerial class, and you've got one about the idea of the university, and you've got one on time energy, and you've got one on Zizek stuff, and the conversations you have with Mikey and well, there's going to be a lot more over time but the main thing is these are closed to people until you've taken a, a book discussion group seminar or lecture series offered by Theory Underground that kind of lays a shared basis for you and the others who are going to be participating in the discussions and so 
if you've ever just been like, wow, I just want to have a space I can go into where I can talk and like I can assume that other people have or are doing the same reading as me. Well, then we'll have a specific forum dedicated to certain works and uh, I haven't unveiled the entire plan or all of the different topics or anything like that just yet. Uh, bear with us. It's only been a month of operation. Uh, but the point is, is you're here. You're at the ground floor. We're thinking about big ideas. In this case, we're thinking about the PMC. There's three courses being offered by Theory Underground right now. The idea of the university starts this Saturday, and it goes for six weeks. The professional managerial, the professional managerial class starts in two weeks, and it goes for eight weeks. And then Mikey teaching Zizek's For They Know Not What They Do starts on February 25th, and that one goes for a long time, like 16 weeks or something like that, because... There's a lot of chapters to have to get through. It's dense theoretical work. It's Zizek at his most theoretical, and it's going to be an epic, epic time. If you know anything about the conversations that I've had with him, when I interview him and he lectures, that's the, that's the good stuff, and people love it. So that's the deep end. That's the hard stuff. The Zizek's for they know not what they do. That's some hardcore theory, and I wouldn't take it. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, I, what I meant to say is I wouldn't take it if you are faint of heart or busy. You know, if you're so busy, you're just not going to be able to get to it. Then, you know, wait. But the professional managerial class consciousness and the idea of the university are both courses that have a light reading requirement compared to your average philosophy class. And so in the PMC one, we will be focusing on Barbara Ehrenreich's essays, but we'll also read a section of Fear of Falling. We'll read a section of Catherine Lou's Virtue Hoarders, a section of Thomas Frank's Listen Liberal, a section of Burnham's The New Class War, or sorry, Burnham's Managerial Revolution, and a section of Michael Lynn's The New Class War, as well as um, a little section of something by Angela Nagel on why she doesn't use the term PMC anymore, as well as a little bit of something from Graeber, who wrote an essay about the concept of the PMC in specifically his field, anthropology. But also um, the book on bullshit jobs is basically a book for and about a lot of PMC people because a lot of people in the PMC, they get paid way more than they deserve. And that's something hard to live with when you see other people suffering. And then a lot of people also do things that are actually redundant or unnecessary except to the interest of a couple of capitalists. So it's like, yeah, you serve a function, but it's not a good one. It's not one that makes you feel useful. It's not one that makes you feel like you're really contributing to the world in very important ways. And so that book on bullshit jobs is basically him being like, yeah, it sucks to suck. And so uh, what are we going to do about it? And uh, he's raising PMC consciousness in a sense. So those are the books that we'll be talking about. This is a introductory sort of beginner course, and uh, I just really hope that you will think about signing up. You've got two weeks from today to sign up for this course. And remember, a few days before the course, we're expecting you to do like your introductory post on the forum. So get to it. Sign up today. Um, I'm hoping to see some of you in this course. Uh Last thing, I guess, is that you got to register with the website. So, yeah, when you're not logged in, you'll, be, you'll, you'll see where to register. Register. And make sure to check your spam email folder.